Welcome to the Unabridged Podcast. I'm Ashley. And this is Jen. Join us for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content to grow your TBR. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about online book discussions and upcoming events. Find us on Patreon for extra unabridged content. Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Unabridged Pod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the Unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 244. Today, we are discussing Sonia Lally's A Holly Jolly Diwali. This is our December book club pick. Before we get started today, I just wanted to remind you that we are revamping our Patreon, and in that, we are releasing at least one episode a month that is a bonus episode on there, and so subscribers get that. You get a private RSS feed, so you just put that in like how you normally listen to our episodes otherwise, and then you just get those bonus episodes that are for our Patreon supporters. We appreciate that so much. It's $5 a month to get that extra content and it means a lot to us and it really helps us cover our ongoing costs that help us keep going to join us on patreon you can just go to patreon.com slash unabridged pod or you can go to our website and there's a link there before we dive into our book today let us talk a little bit about our bookish check-in jen what's something you're reading so I am almost done with Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead, and I love it so much. So I'm listening to this one thanks to Libro FM's ALC program, and I wasn't sure when I started how I would feel about listening to this one because it is quite, quite long. It is definitely much longer than the audiobooks I typically pick up, but the voice is amazing at evoking this character. So this is based on Dickens's David Copperfield, which I should say, I love Dickens, but I've never read that one. And I had like a vague idea of what happened. I mean, it's a, it's a man narrating his life basically. And I knew it was this coming of age story. So what Kingsolver does is she takes the source material and sets it in the Appalachians during sort of the onset of the opioid crisis. And Demon Copperhead, whose name is Damon, but because of the accent in the area, everybody calls him Demon, and because of some other things too. But anyway, (laughs) he (laughs) is born to a teenage addict who dies very early. When he was born, his father had already died. And so his mother was the only person in his life. And so when she dies, he is really without any sort of social network. There's there's no one there to take him in. And so he goes through a series of homes, which I will say, I should have said this at the beginning, trigger warnings all over the place for this one. So he goes through a bunch of homes with pretty horrible foster parents. A lot of them are really only engaging in the foster system to get the money. And the few that he has who provide better situations, there are different reasons that they just cannot continue to be foster parents for him. And it runs, so right now I am at the part where he is a teenager. I'm not sure how much more of his life it's going to cover just because I am quite close to the end, but I do know that he makes it because he's narrating this as an adult looking back on his life, but he goes through 
his own issues with addiction, his own issues that happened just because of the trauma early in his life. And the people who try to reach out later and become support systems have their own issues. King Solver, you know, we've talked about her on the pod before. She is just a phenomenal writer, but it's been a while since I've seen her write like this, just with this single voice that is so distinctive, this character who has so much personality and is so funny and so smart in ways that sometimes go unrecognized by the people around him. And there are people out there who are really pulling for him, and yet they sometimes have a hard time breaking through the system that is just keeping him down and a lot of people in his community down. And it becomes very clear, you know, we read Job Sick on the podcast. I read Empire of Pain by Patrick Ryden Keefe recently. We know the way that pharmaceutical companies preyed on communities just like the one he's part of. And you see that happening in such an intentional way. And there are people in the community who are trying to put a stop to it before it happens. But Individual people just cannot make the difference. And yeah, so that is definitely a part I've been focusing on a lot. But I also just love Demon. I just love him so much. And he's one of those characters that you're just rooting for the whole time, even though there are some choices that he makes that are just telegraphed well ahead of time. And yeah, so it's a tough book to read at times. But I think the humor kind of balances the the trauma that we see so it has just been a great great reading experience i love it so much and i can't wait to see how it all wraps up so yeah that is barbara kingsolver's demon copperhead and i highly recommend it yeah that one's definitely on my list <laughs> and it is a little intimidating because it's very yeah. chunky but yes i do want to read it yeah and part of me is a little sad that i'm not reading it in the print because i'll hear these quotations that i desperately want to highlight <laughs> Because I, they're just, he's so wise and he's so perceptive. And even though he sometimes makes the wrong choice anyway, he just has this way of saying things that is so perfect. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one that I reread in print at some point. Yeah. How about you, Ashley? What are you reading? One of the ones I'm reading right now is Beth O'Leary's The Road Trip. Longtime listeners probably know that I love Beth O'Leary's other work that I have read. I've read both The Flat Share and also The Switch, and I liked both of those a lot. This one is, the premise is, in the present day, so there are two timelines. There's like now and then, and in the present day, the main characters are Addie and Dylan, and they are clearly no longer together, but were together in the past. They are both on their way to a wedding of a mutual friend. And very early on, they are in a car, like they're in separate cars. They're in a car accident together. And so because of that, they wind up with a mixed bag of people, all of whom have baggage. They wind up in this car together. So to go to this wedding that's in Scotland, you're seeing them on this long road trip trying to get to this destination her sister is also in the car and his friend who is very brother-like is in the car and then there's a fifth person who is a random rider who's also going to the wedding (laughs) and so it is an it's a funny premise and uh uncomfortable and all the awkward 
situations that you think might ensue are happening. And so there's some of that. And then you start to get the backstory of when they first met and what their relationship was like. And so there's a lot of movement between those two timelines. And for for the reader, you're discovering what happened, basically, that gets them to where they are. I'm really enjoying it so far. I am interested to see where it goes. And I, in general, I just think her writing is really solid. So again, that's Beth O'Leary's The Road Trip. Somehow I still have not read a book by Beth O'Leary, which I know (laughs) is disgraceful for someone who likes romances. And yeah, but I just have not. I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that her work is inviting. And lately I've been looking for things that, you know, are pretty, I would say, low stakes. Mm -hmm. And so this is a good pick for that. But yeah. So today, our main discussion focuses on Sonia Lolly's A Holly Jolly Diwali, and that is our December book club pick. And I want to give a quick synopsis, and then we'll dive into the book. When Nikki Ronhawa suddenly finds herself without employment, her carefully laid plans to have a safe, stable career seem to stand at her feet. Encouraged by an unusual first date, she reluctantly let her parents set up for her, Nikki decides to do something unexpected. She drops everything and travels to Mumbai to attend the wedding of a dear friend. She first gets to Mumbai during Diwali, and she's swept up in the beauty of the celebration and a very handsome band member who catches her attention. (laughs) So that's the basic, you know, what gets it started. I feel like my summary was a little confusing. Essentially, she goes on a date that her parents set up for her. The guy's name is Raj. That is significant, but because of that conversation, she winds up going on to this wedding. Everything unfurls from there. Jen, what was an overall impression for you? I liked this one. I thought that Lolly had a lot of issues that she was working out through the book. So I felt like there were these moments where you can see her wanting to acknowledge the complexity of situations, and yet it is this lighthearted romance. And so I appreciated that effort. I I sometimes felt those parts weren't incorporated into the overall narrative quite as well as I would have liked. I thought I liked Nikki's family relationships and the way she was trying to work through things with her parents and her sister. I liked, you know, Sam, the guy who she meets while she's there for the wedding. There were a lot of things I liked about it. I, I didn't quite love this one as much as I hoped to. Uh, oh, and I thought, well, I can talk about this later a little more, but I did like the consideration of what Diwali means to mm-hmm. different people and the way different people interpret it in different ways as Nikki is trying to work out what it means to her and to her family. So yeah, overall, I thought there was a lot to like. I wouldn't say this was a five star for me. How about you? Yeah, similar feelings. I I was really swept up in it at first. I loved the premise of the story. And I thought that her attempts to, you know, there's a lot of times where she's like, I went, you know, she feels the need to be the good Indian daughter. And there's a lot of she's trying to offset her sister who has always been so, you know, American and so like independent and done what she wanted and rebelled and done all these things. And so Nikki feels all this pressure to contrast that. And her parents are so great. I mean, they're so great in so many ways. And so we see, we see why she feels that pressure, but I just thought all that worked really well and how, because 
she worked so hard at that, she really had not had a lot of dating. She hadn't really gotten things. So suddenly she's 29 and her family's like, when are you going to settle down and get married? Which is not something she's against doing. But because she's worked so hard to play this perfect role, she never really got to develop that part of her life. And so I thought all that consideration was really great. And I loved that premise. I think the thing that I got stuck on is that, and I think sometimes as a reader, things seem simple. And I know that in real life, they're not simple in the way that they feel to the reader. But I was just like, her situation with Sam seemed very straightforward to me. Yeah. And so that was the thing. Like, I think in a nutshell, the part I felt frustrated by was I was like, yes, he is amazing. Yes, things are going to work out fine. No, we are in, you know, 2022 you cannot like it's not the end of the world if he lives on a different continent than you so I think I think I felt a little bit like she was hamstrung by these things that I felt like were not barriers yeah the manufactured conflicts yeah Yeah. so that was the part that I was like let's just work things out (laughs) but again I think that sometimes that is because as we all know, like outside perspectives, everything seems a lot simpler than when you're the one in it. But that was the part that, like you said, manufactured conflict. I mean, I felt like some of that I needed it to be a bit more conflict or to not her to not be so adverse to what was clearly not going to be a fling. I mean, I think like that idea of her trying to hold on to this is going to be a fling for the holiday. Why? I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. So, so that was the part. But but beyond that, which I did get a little caught up, and I have trouble with that in romances sometimes. I've shared that many times on the podcast. But beyond that, I loved, like you said, I loved the consideration of Diwali. I loved the consideration of her identity and trying to find her way through being, in a lot of ways, it's about being okay with who she is and not feeling like she's not enough or, you know, that she's less than someone else because she hadn't been to Punjab before because she couldn't speak Punjabi. I mean, so like some of those elements I thought were really well explored. I loved all that. So those things I really, really liked. But with Sam, I was like, yeah, he's great. Yeah. (laughs) Problem solved. Awesome. So, yeah, that that part. Uh, Oh, and the friendships. I liked those a lot, too. I thought her friendship with Dia was really great. What about you, Jen? What is something that worked for you? So I thought that consideration of feeling like there are these rules you have to follow and that if you do, then you deserve something in return. Like you would deserve things to just work out without any conflict or any issues that everything should then be easy was interesting because I do feel like there's this idea, you know, she, she had this job, she did her school, she hadn't dived into a lot of the risk-taking behaviors that her sister did. And so I thought you see her feeling like she deserves something in return. Like that made a lot of sense to me. I think that is, a, it, it makes a lot of sense for her to think that it makes sense in her brain, but it also makes sense to us. And I thought the complexities of her relationship with Jasmine, with her sister as a result, was really authentic. Like the fact that she couldn't see who her sister had become, that her, it was almost like she was operating against this idea of who her sister had been in the past. And so she wasn't able to see who she had become in the present and the decisions that her sister had also made to take control over her own life and to try to be happy and to make her family happy and to make people proud. 
because she was defining everything in this really narrow-minded way. It sounds like a negative, but it made, I thought it was an authentic thing for the character to have to work through. And, you know, even in her company, this idea that she had been promoted because she was so great, but then that very promotion made her not integral to the company anymore. And yeah, she felt like she had earned her way into the company, and yet there's no appreciation on their side for that fact. It felt like those echoes through her life made a lot of sense, and so I liked that part of it a lot. I thought that was a nice, nuanced part of her character, and a place where she really had to work to change. I think she had also been operating on this assumption that her parents felt a certain way. And so I think that conflict between what she thought other people felt and what they actually thought and felt worked really well. And the fact that she actually needed to listen to them and talk to them to find out what they thought and felt about things. I think we all have to have those moments where we're like, oh, I was operating under this series of assumptions that is not really true or used to be true, but isn't true anymore. Anyway, so that all, that all worked for me. I think that was a little rambly, so I'm sorry, <laughs> but I was kind of working my way into my thought there, but anyway, <laughs> what's one thing that worked for you, Ashley? So one thing that I, that did really work for me was the sister relationship. I feel like you already touched on that, Jen. So I'm going to talk instead about Sam's mom and how I just loved her as a character. And I think that what, there were a lot of things that were really powerful to me about it, but I think that something that I loved was just seeing how she could still honor tradition, but also recognize the things that have to change. And so we see some colorism, we see some caste bias that happens in the story and how Nikki has not really faced a lot of that. She's not completely unaware of it, but she hasn't had to face it in such a direct and ugly way. And so when she experiences that at the wedding and then encounters Sam's mom, Auntie Asha, she really counters that. And so I thought that that was really sweet. And then I just loved that whole scene where she was really into Sam and how cute he was. And then she realizes that his mom is standing right, right by her. And that, you know, I do think we find out that he was entranced by her somewhat, but Uh it was just hilarious. I think it echoes what you said, Jen, about how she thinks she knows what's going on, but things are different than how they seem. And, but I, I loved that. And I think, you know, in some ways, she was like too far the other way, like with the, I mean, it was almost a caricature of an open minded parent who's like, you know, wanting to help them have a healthy physical relationship. Um, but at the same time, I felt like Sonia Lolly was commenting on that there's not one type of parent, there's not one way to be Indian, there's not one, you know, so I liked that because I felt like she explores that complexity of like, how do you raise kids who are obedient and thoughtful and focused on their career and focused on their academics, but also who have healthy relationships. And then you want them to go on and meet people. And what does that look like? And what does that look like in a world that is not where the marriages aren't arranged? You know, how do they meet people and find them and, 
and find these love matches. So I thought all of that was really interesting. And I felt like that character especially embodied Mm -hmm. some of that exploration in a way that I really liked. And I just thought she was really sweet. I mean, she and she's navigating hard things. I think we see with Samir and his dad that like there's this really complicated situation and that he again kind of like jasmine that he did not do the thing that his father thought he should do and because he didn't do it there's an extreme amount of tension and then the mom is caught in the middle of all that and so i thought all that was really interesting yeah i think those interactions were really fun and it was nice that they were also anchored in some more serious things to consider yeah yeah what quote would you like to share jen All right, I have a couple. I'm going to choose one that I feel like we haven't really talked about yet. So this is from the end of the novel. And it it seemed almost too good to be true. Like one of my little fantasies, the way things were starting to work out. The way that what was best for both of us as individuals was the best case scenario for us as a couple too. But wasn't that how it was supposed to be? Being in love wasn't just about how you felt about the other person. It was how you felt about yourself when you were with that person. It was knowing without a doubt that you were living each day as the best version of yourself. And I just really like that. I felt like that was quite a journey for her that when she was, you know, had this kind of not really relationship with Raj, but the, this the beginnings of relationship with Raj, it was very much focused on him and the way he met these check marks of things that she thought her parents wanted and that she wanted. But there was no consideration of how he made her feel or of how they would function together. And so I thought that was a really nice part of her relationship with Sam that the way they were together and the way he made her feel became a part of it. So I I really liked that quote and what it represented about the journey she'd taken as a character. Yeah. Yeah, that stood out to me too. Mm -hmm. How about you? What's a quotation you liked? Yeah, so I had a couple also. I think I'm going to go with, this is early on in the book. She says, I was not myself. I was not Nikki, the good Indian girl who obeyed her parents, whose life revolved around her career, who never let herself get carried away. I didn't know where the hell she'd gone, but without her, I felt lost and free in equal measure. And I do think that that conflict in the book is a really good one where she is trying to find her way of being a more authentic and full self, but Mm -hmm. recognizing that that she can still be a good person, a good daughter, a good, you know, an obedient child. I mean, all of those things, she can be all those things. I think we see over the progression of the novel that she comes to, and I think that's part of why she's so resistant to thinking of Sam as anything more than a fling because she's caught up in this idea that she has to be one way or the other way and that what she's trying to do when she goes and does this impulsive thing and takes this trip is be this other person and I think over the course of the book we start to see that she recognizes over time that it isn't actually that like she can be herself and also open to a relationship that's centered on love. Like you were saying, Jen, you know, that she can think about how a person makes her feel, that she can take all those things into consideration and that that isn't bad. There was just a lot of that finding her way and figuring out what she had been clinging to as being this checklist of the right way to be didn't have to be so rigid Mm -hmm. and that that was okay. 
Yeah. Well, and that the reason her parents wanted that for her was for her. It wasn't that they wanted that for themselves. I mean, maybe in some level, but they really wanted her to be happy and they were supportive. They just thought that was the way that she would be happy. And so, yeah, I thought that was nice too, because her parents are so great and so nurturing. And yet she has this really interesting idea of what they want and why they want it. So let's talk about pairings. Jen, what is your pick for a pairing for this book? So I have a pairing, but I want to go in with a warning here that the tone of this one is could not be more different. So, um, but topically, I thought there were some interesting parallels. So I am recommending Thridi Umrgar's Honor. And the connection I saw here is that this is about a woman named Smita and she was born in India, but when she was a teenager, her family moved to America and she has not been back since because of some horrific things that happened. And she is a journalist who through the course of some things happening with her organization, ends up having to go to India to cover a story that was someone else's. And she is, she has to confront both what happened to her and to her family when she was a teenager and also think about what India really means. So she has some very negative ideas, stereotypes, impressions because of her experience. And she sees that as a whole of what India is. And yet as she is doing this research for this article that she has to write, which is about something very negative, she also experiences some of the positive things about the country of her birth. And I thought that like Nikki, you know, Nikki has some really negative experiences while she's in India, and yet she comes to realize the nuance and complexity of the country and to realize that it's not just one thing and that all countries have both positives and negatives. And so that part of it, I thought made honor a really good pairing. Now, again, the tone is very different. There are trigger warnings all over the place, so proceed carefully. But I really liked that acknowledgement and that exploration of the idea that no one description of a country can encompass all that it means. And that even for people who live there or who have lived there, that is true. So she felt like because she was born in India, she knew everything she needed to know and she could judge it as being this thing. And then she realizes when she returns that, of course, there's more than just that experience that she had. So that is Thridi Amragar's Honor. And it is a beautiful book. But yeah, again, total tone switch. So <laughs> yeah, I remembered you talking about that one before, Jen. And when I saw it on the list, I was like, oh, that sounds very different. Then, But yeah, I can see those parallels. It, it is one I definitely want to read after hearing but you talk about it. Yeah. How about you, Ashley? What's your pairing? I am torn. I had several that really came to my mind. And I think each of them are good pairings, but I am actually going to go with Jean Meltzer's The Matzo Ball. And that is because I think each of them are good pairings, but I am actually going to go with Jean Meltzer's The Matzo Ball. So we read this one as our book club pick 2021, sometime in 2021. I just want to say that if you like books that center on holidays, I just feel like this one really has that going on. So the matzo ball takes place during Hanukkah. And I think that it 
in a similar way to how Diwali is explored here from a character's perspective, you're getting that same, like how the connection between holidays and real life and how those things intersect and the ways we celebrate and why we celebrate and what it means. So I feel like that is why that one came to my mind. It also came to my mind because Similarly, it's somebody who is finding their way in a career, but also has, because of career stuff and life stuff, has not really found a romantic partner, even though she wants one. And so I think you see that similar situation, too, of somebody who, on the one hand, is like, really, you know, has a stable life as an adult, but then like is wanting a partner, a life partnership that she doesn't have. So I think you see that too. And then the other thing that really comes to my mind for this one is that there also is this idea of the right way to be like a certain type of daughter for your parents and how far you'll go. And in this one, I mean, the monster ball I thought was brilliant. It's funny. It's really insightful, but she, Rachel, who is the main character, is like hiding this major part of her life and her career from her parents because, because she thinks they're going to be disappointed in her and that she's not going to be the, the right type of Jewish daughter that she thinks her parents want her to be. And because of that, she's going to pretty great lengths to cover up some pretty, <laughs> some pretty major parts of her life. And again, it's hilarious, but it's also insightful about... That same idea of how we don't realize how much we internalize that there's like a certain way to be something and how that can really affect and shape us and how a lot of times the way that our parents perceive us is actually not the way that we think that they perceive us. I thought there were a lot of parallels there. Again, you know, um, a lot of differences. But I think it is also a romance. It also centers on a holiday. It also is kind of... um, has some of those same vibes as far as finding your way as an adult, navigating family relationships. Um, you see a lot of that. So again, that is Jean Meltzer's The Matzo Ball. I love that one. That's such a great pairing. Like I said, I thought of a bunch of different ones. There's a lot of ways to go with this book, but I think that one's a good one. And people who are looking for winter reads, holiday reads might be fun for that. All right. Well, we wanted to give our bookish hearts and then we'll do our give me one. So Jen, what, how many bookish hearts? I think four for me. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I just, yeah, there were just some things I wanted a little more of. How about you? Yep, same. I'd go with four bookish hearts. I There were a lot of things I really loved, but as I said in the beginning, I got a little frustrated with kind of the pacing of some of the stuff that I wanted things to either have, not that I wanted her to have lots of conflict in her life, but I was looking for there to be more conflict that felt genuine or, you know, kind of to move along to the next step kind of of, of what was going on. So we wanted to end with our give me one, and our topic today is a favorite winter tradition. What's one for you, Jen? So I may have talked about this before, but I will just say snow cream was the first thing that popped into my head. And this is something I have fond memories of making when I was a kid. And I have a lot of fun with my kids making this now. So anytime there's a big snow, we put out a bowl to catch the snow. And then you just add some vanilla and some sugar and some milk. Or I mean, technically it's supposed to be like condensed milk, but my kids don't actually like condensed milk. So we just... We just pour some 1% in there. And yeah, it's just this nice little treat that 
it, it's almost about the making of it more than it is the eating it. So yeah, that's fine. How about you? What's a favorite winter tradition? Friends know that we have way too many Legos. Our family's big into Legos. And so we have quite a collection of the winter holiday Christmas Lego sets. And so one thing I really love is that we do the Advent Legos. So we have a couple of sets. The girls have one. And then we have a couple that we do together that you do one a day. And I really love that. I think it's a a fun winter tradition. And it's nice to build something small together every day. And we just do it at dinner time the month of December. And I really love that. It's a lot of fun. Well, thank you all so much for listening today. We would love to hear your thoughts about a Holly Jolly Diwali or about winter traditions or if you have pairings for a Holly Jolly Diwali. Any of that, we'd be happy to hear. You can always find us on social media at Pod, or you can email us at unabridgedpod at gmail.com. And as we mentioned in the beginning, we have Patreon episodes coming out every month. So if you're looking for a little bit more unabridged content, we appreciate your support there. You can just go to patreon.com slash unabridged pod. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridged pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.